You're listening to Key Conversations for Leaders. This is episode number 47. Welcome, everybody. In today's episode, we'll be talking about the art of caring leadership with Heather Younger. We'll be discussing how to know if you're truly a caring leader, the numbers behind becoming people first, and the main ingredient to helping people find their voice, and much, much more. Leadership is about vision. It's about creating a vision and sharing that vision with others in a way that inspires them to walk with you towards its fulfillment. Along the way, leaders encourage, motivate, guide, and even challenge people to bring their best each and every day. And it's all done through conversations. That's what this show is about. Better conversations for better leaders. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Key Conversations for Leaders. I'm your host, John Ryan, and today we have a very special guest, Heather Younger. Heather is an experienced keynote speaker, two-time author, and the CEO and founder of Employee Fanatics, a leading employee engagement, leadership development, and DEI consulting firm, where she is on a mission to help leaders understand the power they possess to ensure people feel valued at work, and she is known as the employee whisperer. Heather harnesses humor, warmth, and instant relatability to engage and uplift audiences and inspire them into action. Heather, thank you so much for being here on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. You know, I wanted to ask, you know, in your TEDx talk and also on your website, you mentioned your childhood and how it inspired you and really prepared you for the career that you have now in working with leaders. Can you talk a little bit about that journey for you? Yes. Interestingly enough, I I um, when I re- when I did the TED talk to begin with, I didn't actually even put in this one story that I included in the beginning of the, my new book, and it's related to an aunt of mine. So I um, come from an interracial, interfaith background. My mom is white and Jewish. My dad is black and Christian, and um, basically, I was an outcast of my own family. I was the black sheep of the family, and no one really I never was really invited to large family gatherings or anything like that. And I just felt kind of this not good enough sense in myself. But there was this one aunt who was amazing. And she, we moved away from Ohio when I was nine, me and my family. And um, she sent, would send me every year, a big box of gifts, eight presents to open up each day of Hanukkah. And it, she would do that as a way to kind of make me feel included. And like I did belong to the family. And it, it just gave me that sense of what caring leadership should really look like. So that was kind of, I didn't really think about it literally until recently. Um, but that in the end, that was the thing that set me on this journey of always wanting other people to feel like they like they were included, like their voice mattered, like they were valued and like they belonged. Um, and so that's kind of where, you know, where I got to where I'm at. And then there was a there was another impetus that happened some years ago. I was working in an organization where there was a merger of companies and and the culture was going downhill pretty quickly. And I went to the head of HR and said, listen, we have got to do something about our lack of trust. There's a lack of engagement. And it was because I was feeling it. I was feeling the brunt myself. I was feeling really drugged down by it. And so I went to her and she was, and she said, yeah, I think, I think you're right. We should really, you should do something about that. And I was like, I was leading customer experience at the time I was not leading HR. And, but I was kind of the culture ambassador trying to uplift people all the time, you know, around me and recognize people. Um, and so then we, I did, I kind of corralled a group of people cross-functionally and within the different companies. And we started to do things to break down walls, build trust, doing like scavenger hunts where people can learn more about one another. It was just, it was a, it was a place that we really needed to get to because it was, it was tough for a lot of people. Anyway, so we did start to build trust. People people were, you know, not as fearful, but then the merger didn't go so well. <laughs> they laid off a lot of people and I was one of them. But I realized right in that moment that someone had to be the voice for the people who were driving the business forward while all the chaos was happening around them. And I chose to be that voice, to be that voice back to leaders about what it is they can do to improve the experience for their people. And, and so that's where I'm at today. 
love that message. So I, I think I can see the total connection between your aunt and the identity that it, all it takes is really one person to show up in care and help someone feel valued, acknowledged, and part of that group. And you were obviously that impetus for change. It, does there need to be more than one person to make that work? Or, or can it really just start with one person and have that become an, an, kind of a positive infection of others? Mm -hmm. I actually agree with the latter. I do think it takes one uh, so that like when we look when we're seeking for we're seeking change, we should look for the change inside of us for sure. Uh, and then, of course, if the change is um, if the if the desire to change is authentic, if it is driven by a passion to help others so that others focused, then you're going to then spread it to other people because they're going to want to have more of that, do more of that and see more of that and be a part of it. So that's just been my mission. It's not like I have some massive following in the world, but you know, I feel like we have a small and mighty group of us in the world who really want to get this work done, who really want to touch the lives of employees through the, through the leaders who actually have the authority over them. Uh, and so, yeah, that's that's I, I do agree that the, the second part is definitely the most important. Wonderful. You mentioned there has to be a desire to change. Have you ever come across leaders or organizations, and maybe undoubtedly, that are resistant to change or, or straight out do not want to change at all? Well, I mean, I've seen it where they're kind of half in and half out quite a bit. And what I have to say is that like the work that we do at Employee Fanatics, it ends up being not as long term, it's it's not it's short lived. Let's just put it that way. So we may have some if we're actively engaged with them, we may have the results for some years. But if their heart is not fully in it, if they don't see a gap in what's happening and they don't have a desire to change it and kind of that drive to move it forward, then it's not going to last long. And so I tried. I really try to um, let you know, clients know that this is not a one and done. This is a continuous process of listening and, and acting and communicating and learning and just kind of just, it just goes in a cycle. It never ends. Um, and so once I let them know that, you know, then they, then I can see whether they want to engage with that or not. Because some people think it's a one and done, no matter what you do on the DEI front, on the engagement front. Oh, we do this survey. We listen once. We make two changes. And then they're happy, right? For like a day. <laughs> like, I mean, no, it's not how it works. No, that's so true. It sounds like some of those things that you have used in terms of, you know, calibrating, like, are they ready to make a change? Because that itself is a little bit of adversity, a little bit of challenge to kind of work through. And, and that's kind of part of your specialty is turning those adversities into opportunity. Do you have any suggestions or keys that you think of when you're approaching an adversity to turn it into something more positive? Well, I mean, I think as I alluded to in, the, in my TED talk, which obviously I hopefully will reference in the notes, it, reframing is a big part of it. So we all experience adversity. There's always challenges around us all the time. We're right in the middle of a pandemic. We're all trying to you know, get past this, right? It's how quickly can we recover? Because that's what really resilience is about. It's about the, the ability to recover quickly from adversity or challenges. So it doesn't mean that a challenges don't affect any of us. It's just how quickly we get up. So I would say reframing is a part of it. And what reframing really is, is just taking kind of the irrational thoughts that swirl around in our head about what it is is going to, what it is is happening, what's going to happen. And we're just like amplifying it into the future and we're in exploding it in a real negative way. And instead of replacing that with more positive thoughts of, okay, okay, snap out of it. Um, that actually did happen, but these are the other things that happened too. And these are the other things that could potentially happen too. And so they're more positive. So it's just flipping things on its head and you're having to be super intentional about doing that instead of, you know, we all kind of automatically do it, but it's the intentionality that makes us spring back uh, faster. Is, is that part of the thing that makes you the employee whisperer? And, and my other question is like, how does one develop that skill set? And, and what do those skills look like to really have that impact on employees? 
The employee whisper part is really about um, having a desire like to seek to understand people at a very deep level. Um, having, a, a, for me, it's a gift to empathize with people in real ways where I can step outside of my own shoes and really step into theirs and, and feel their pain. And then having this uh, desire also kind of, kind of paired with that to express, express things with compassion. So basically the idea of empathy and compassion is that empathy is sensing the other, other people's feelings and just understanding maybe what that is. And compassion is actually taking action to alleviate someone's pain. So you sense the person's pain and then you could just sense it and stay right there, or you could sense it and decide to do something about it. And so what the work that I do is sensing it very deeply and then going to, to leaders who can do something about it and communicating it to them in a real effective way that helps them know what to do to move forward and improve the experience for their people. Does that make sense? It sure does. It sure does. So it sounds like there's an empathetic stepping into their shoes perspective, but then there's also not just an understanding, but you got to take action because otherwise mm -hmm. you're not being proactive. And that brings that in into the fold as well. I imagine yep. that's part of uh, some of the things you share in your newest book, which is the art of uh, caring leadership. Can you tell us a little? Oh, she's got it right there. I'm kind, there of, you go. I'm kind of in love with the cover. Like I didn't actually <laughs> choose the cover. Like everybody on LinkedIn and uh, Facebook and wherever they chose the cover, but I love this cover. Uh, it, the artistic feel of it. And either, so basically, I do talk about empathy and compassion in there, and lots of other things. The idea is, um, we all think that we care. We just, we all think we care. We all think that we express care, but we don't. We, we may think we care. We may occasionally show care, but do we consistently express care to our people um, and, and kind of more on a daily basis, on a more consistent basis? And so what I attempt to do, and I think I do very well with the voices of like 80 other leaders who I interviewed on my podcast, Leadership with Heart, is giving it framework. So I, I was able to boil up about nine key behaviors of what we can do when we to, to show true expression of care. So not just this nebulous thing of care, but the expression of consistent care. So that's what I've done in there. And it gives, it's like a blueprint for leaders to say, listen, the great stories, uh, you know, data, insights, basically with the foundation of my listening to, you know, reading personally almost 30,000 employee engagement survey comments and DEI survey comments, sitting in on hundreds of employee focus groups. So it has that employee whisper background in addition to all the leaders who really express it in more consistent ways so they can show us how to do it. Fantastic. Have you, I guess, I imagine that a lot of people in companies right now think it should all be about logic and the art of caring leadership is no, this is heart centered and you got a people first does leading with your heart. Like how does that impact team and organization? Like what's the mechanism that allows it to really shift culture the way it probably does. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. So I, for, for people who ask that exact question, I included multiple case studies in the book as well from some of the leaders that I interviewed that, that really talk about, for example, with uh, Gary Ridge, WD-40 company, he talks about how the market cap, he's a, it's a publicly traded company and how he went from like, I don't even, let's say 200 million to like 2.2 billion. It was some crazy shift over like a 10 year period. And it was only a matter of him as a CEO shifting the strategy and his focus and his focus really did become more people first. And so he calls his people, his tribe, and he is the CEO that will go down in the morning. And when they walk in the door, he's welcoming them. And again, this is a public traded company, a very large company, global company. And he takes the time to do those kind of things. And I think of Ron Alpha Steffer, who is the CEO of Service Express. And he talks about the same thing where I think they were maybe at, I'm not going to get this number right, but let's just think of it from a, a ratio perspective. He was somewhere like a uh, hundred employees and like, 
30 million or something. And again, what happened with him is he realized that he kept sitting down with people and he was talking about process and projects and revenues. And he kept just talking about those types of things. And when he realized that he kind of smacked himself in the face and said, we're not getting anywhere with my way of leading. And when I decided to change the way I lead in the way that that says, before I go there, let me put the person who's sitting in front of me, let's meet me, let me, let me meet them where they're at. Let's see where they're at and really start to let the people be more empowered to drive the business forward. And they went from like, let's say it's 20, 30 million to like 130 million in, in a kind of a shorter period of time to where it's like five, 10 years. So it's a nice, a huge amount of growth when you look at that uh, year over year. And those are a couple examples of that. And I put multiple others in the book, but it, the proof is in the pudding. I mean, so, so I say, yes, it is a good thing to do. And yes, it is the right thing to do. And to make employees feel good about the work that they're doing and the feelings that they leave with is the thing that drives business results. It is the, how they feel about you, how they feel about the mission and the organization that decide, that makes decides whether they actually press the snooze button in the morning like 25 times <laughs> or whether they jump the heck out of bed ready to get to work for you. So Ready to get going. I love it. Both of those examples seem to speak to the idea that you mentioned, uh, which is undivided attention that focusing on the person in front of you can, it seems like in the social media world and all the distractions that we have, that that's a, a skill that we are really lacking. How do you, how do you develop that discipline principle to stay totally focused on the person in front of you? I don't, you know, foundationally for me, I think if we go back to my story of how I didn't feel for the majority of my life. I mean, really up and even into my thirties, didn't feel really cared for, not necessarily from like my mom or my dad, but I'm just thinking about like the extended family, which really is the, when you think about that's where a lot of your values are, are created is a kind of this extended family feels that extended family completely rejected me. And so I had this, this, uh, I could have reacted with equal rejection. I could have reacted with kind of equal, um, uh, non-acceptance, right? All of those things. But I decided that I wanted to make people feel the opposite of what I felt like. And so because of that, for me, it's it's a, it's a leading value. I, 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 I'm driven to be able to be present and to listen to people uh, and to feel for them and to let them know that they're not alone. So that's the way it is. I think if we want, I do teach emotional intelligence. I do train, I'm certified in this, and I do train on empathy and things to try to help people who aren't naturally inclined that way, or let's say if it wasn't natural, it wasn't one that was like nurtured, you know, so there's like nature versus nurture and all of those, right? And so for me, it kind of ended up being nature. It was like a survival of the fittest mechanism for me to be able to do that. So I would say for any people, anybody who doesn't see themselves as someone who's naturally empathetic, and then of course, compassionate, you want to just really practice uh, being fully present, you know, getting kind of clearing away everything that's there and just kind of relaxing yourself and, and cleaning out your mind and tr and really focusing on the person in front of you as a bullseye. And it's hard to do that. But it's like no phone, close the door, like nothing else there. And just ask open-ended questions, you know, lean in and ask open-ended questions. Because what, what I find is that stories help build empathy in others. And so if we listen to people's stories, we all of a sudden see their view and then we're like, oh, shoot. I did not like see that. I did not know that. And then now I can feel them a little bit more. And now I can sense where they're coming from. And that's when you, the power as a leader, holy smokes, and it's positive power. It's not the negative authority wielding kind of thing I'm talking about. I'm saying, wow, the level of influence you get to when you are able to sense the feelings of another person and where they want to get to in their life and how you can help them get there is powerful. I love it. It's going back to empathy and I think beginning with the intention and be, being aware. It's not just the nurturing environment. It's actually a decision that you might make on side that. And it sounds like you had to do that in response mm -hmm. to your environment. 
it seems like when you're evaluating or, or listening to stories and you're paying attention, you're being fully present, that that's going to naturally improve the relationship and create trust. Does that also kind of fight against the tendency to micromanage uh, from a management mm -hmm. leadership perspective? Yeah, yeah. You bring up a really good point there. Uh, so the you know, micromanagement absolutely is an issue of a lack of trust. Um, there's a lack of trust and there's a lack of insecurity. So there's a, thinking about micromanagement, there's there's all this baggage that comes with us as humans. I just, just, I just displayed mine right here, right? Some of mine at least. And we all have that baggage. So oftentimes the micromanagers, they, they don't have a sense of control and maybe they never did. Maybe there was some stuff in their background that made them never feel in control. So they always had to be the one to control things. So there's a lot of complexities in the micromanager actually. Uh, but that trust component is a big one. I think it is kind of the, the lack of trust is a foundation of that person who's a micromanager. And so, you know, how do you how do you grow in trust? Well, I, I think you kind of put your finger on it quickly here. And that was this idea of self-awareness, of being aware of how you feel in your skin. So when you're at the point where you know that there's like a project and you need to, you know, this person's skill set really aligns best with this project and you're going to hand it over. Um, this, how do you feel right in that moment? Like, I would say journal, like scan yourself and then like journal what it is you're feeling in those moments, especially if you know you're the person who tends to micromanage and we know what we are. We, we are, most of us know what we are. It comes up in our performance reviews. It comes up in our marriages, right? So when you know you are that person, you have to take the time to fully evaluate how you're feeling when you're doing this thing that, that stretches you. And I would say to really be aware is to do that, to body, to scan yourself. How's your, is your heart racing? I mean, are you, is there anxiety raising up in you? What's happening in you? And journal that because when you, when you know what your triggers are, then you can kind of back yourself up and try to manage through the emotions then going forward. It's like that rewind wheel and then the fast forward, right? You can analyze yourself at going backwards and then, and then move forward in a, in a better way. Self-awareness really does, it's where it all begins, right? And it helps you to create that own connection, congruency within and develop your own power. What advice do you have for leaders out there to help others to find their own voice and to help amplify their voices and help them find their own power? Um, I, I think, you know, a big one is, the, I think trust is it. So, you know, you can't, you can't create kind of a safe space for people to feel comfortable speaking up unless they trust you. And so who, you know, when you, when you create this, so if it's you and you, if you and the person just one-on-one, -on -one, you know, what are the things are you doing to build trust? And that's like keeping your word, you know, doing what you say you're going to do, being there um, on their side when things get tough. Uh, if they make a mistake, you don't come down on them hard. You, you sit with them and figure out what it is they did wrong, what they could do better next time. You really meet them where they're at and with heart. Um, and then I would say secondarily, if you're trying to open up a space um, where people are speaking of, let's say, in groups, you have to ask yourself, who's around the table? Do they trust those people at the table? Um, it, or is there an identity, kind of a common identity amongst the people at the table? Is it very inclusive? There's lots of things that you have to ask yourself if you're trying to expand now this level of, of opening up and trustworthiness when, when it's speaking at a group, because that's like a fearful thing. If you think about it, most people are more afraid of speak, like public speaking, which would mean speaking in a group doesn't even need to be like standing up in front of people, than they are of even dying in most cases. It's really pretty bad. So when you know that that is in fact true, what do you do then as a leader to create just that sense of, of safety and calm and not going to, you know, psychological safety, not going to ridicule you, ridicule you, not going to, you know, laugh at you. Everybody can just say it, you know, speak the truth. And I talk about um, this idea of maybe like making it fun where you around the table where you can, you know, have a, a fun squishy doll and you throw it around when you throw it around the person gets to like say their, say their side and everybody, it, should, it ends up being more like a game that people are speaking out and speaking their truth. 
Um, those are that's one way to do it. You can also have for those who just don't, they are just, oh my gosh, they'll get in hives if they have to talk. And, and then there are a lot of people like that. They will get hives. And so if you want to, you can even have it where they're like writing down their thoughts and then giving it into like a stack of things. And then you can read through the thoughts without actually identifying it to the person. Um, that obviously isn't necessarily a sense of safety, but in the end, if you're trying to really get to the point where you're opening people up, then that would be one way to do that as well. So I think there's a lot of ways to do it, but you have to really care first. You just have to care first. You got to do all the things that are important so that people at least trust you before you can ex- expect them to speak in, in a, you know, openly in any other form. I think you just said it really well. You have to care first. Like none of that's going to happen unless you actually care, which, which seems to me like that would create a ton of employee loyalty. And, and how, how do you see that? Like, does that increase? Like, like I want to be part, like you said, no more hitting the snooze button. I want to get out of bed. I want to go to work. And, and does employer loyalty exist or does it increase when this happens? Like, what is your experience with that? Hmm, employer loyalty. Well, I mean, I think, I think in the end, it, let's, I mean, most organizations are driven by bottom line. So what is, what does this mean from a revenue perspective? Um, what does this mean from growth? What does it mean from customer satisfaction? Like all those things is what they're looking for. So understanding that that is the main focus for most organizations. I mean, obviously it, each individual leader in their shoes might have different motivations, but organizations are existent for profitability unless they're nonprofits, you know, they're, 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 that's what they're meant to be. And so, uh, you know, I don't want to uh, minimize the fact that we need to make money, that we need to make sure customers are happy. It's just that you can't get any of that unless your unless your team members are happy first. So um, I would say like this idea of employer loyalty is, is really, it, it happens if, if at the core of who the top leaders are, that people are first, as I kind of alluded to with um, Gary Ridge and Ron Elphistepher and the, the different people, again, that I've talked about before. Um, if you have those kind of leaders, uh, Daniel McCollum, he makes me think of that too. He did another show. The people that I talked to uh, really realized there was a strategy change. There was always like a pivot. I don't know if they all started there. Most of them didn't start there. They pivoted there after realizing they weren't going to get, they just weren't going to get the results they wanted. And they knew it was the right thing to do. So when you can combine both the right thing to do and the right thing to do, right, from a, from a revenue perspective, then you're in good shape. So that's what I would say is that you'll, you'll, you, one will get loyalty when the other gives loyalty, and you have to be doing it at the same time. It's bi-directional. I love it. Yeah, totally. It's about conversations with self, conversations with other people, and investing in the relationship and truly being that caring leader that you're speaking about. You know, obviously here at Key Conversations, we think conversations are key to have with yourself and other people. Do you mind sharing what's an important conversation perhaps that you've had either personally or professionally that has a, a big impact on your life? Hmm. Conversations and it's, I don't know. I think I, I have a lot of conversations and I think when I, one of the biggest ones is when I talk to my kids, cause I have four children and um, there three of them are teenagers and one is about to be a tween here. And I remember one day um, I went into my son's bed, my oldest son, and he, he always says he gets the least attention. So one day I just decided to walk into, he was sitting at his chair in his bedroom and I just decided to like let go and like lay on his bed and start talking just really informally. And I was just chatting with him. And then all of a sudden he gets out of his chair and he kind of lays down next to me and we're just like talking, you know, just like leisurely talking. And, and, and he goes at the, at the end of our conversation, he just said, mommy, this is nice having this time with you. And he's like 16. So this was, he was 15 when this happened. Um, this is nice having this conversation. So I would say like the the idea of I understood that he needed that time that I was giving him that focused time and I needed to meet him in this place because he's also more introverted. So he's and he, so he doesn't share much, very internal. 
Um, and so I needed to go to him in the way that spoke his language. And he's very much a connector and has to have that contact and likes hugs and things. And so I said, well, let's just kind of, hey, I'm laying chat like this, just like talk. And, and that's what we needed to do. So but I think that would be a, a pretty pivotal conversation. And I think, again, it's a, a great example of what we would need to do at work too, right? Um, obviously, you're not going to lay on a bed with your team member. <laughs> but you are going to meet them. <laughs> you're going to come to them in a way that speaks to them. And you, and you can't know that unless you spend time with them. So it's critical to spend time one-on-one with your people for sure. Well, parents are leaders too. And yes. caring, caring leaders for sure. You know, Heather, thank you so much for sharing your insights and, and all your wisdom and ideas. What's the best way for our listeners and viewers to get in touch with you and, and stay connected with your stories? Well, I would love, obviously, for sure, for them to go to the theartofcaringleadership.com and check out um, the book that I have here. I love this yeah. book so much. I just love the cover. Like, it's beautiful. Uh, um, it's gorgeous. It's so, I love it. For a leadership book, it's a little bit unique. But if you go there, you will see there are some a lot of uh, kind of good uh, freebies that you can download, some posters, some infographics. Um, we have bundle packages for anybody that like would love to have it for their team. So I would say that's a big one. And I would say secondarily, LinkedIn is probably my biggest presence. And so if you just want to go to connect with Heather Younger on LinkedIn, I think I might be like, when you go put that in there, you'll probably just find me. Um, and that way you can kind of see everything that's going on. I can engage with your content. We can engage with, engage with one another and, and kind of create a relationship from there. So I love it. I'll put all those links in the show notes as well. Heather, thank you, so, thank you so much for being here. It's been an absolute privilege. Thank you so much. It's been great. And thank you for watching and listening. Until next time, develop yourself, empower others, and lead by example. Thanks for listening to Key Conversations for Leaders with your host, John Ryan. If you enjoyed the show, please let us know. Give us a rating or write a review. And if you'd like to connect with me and other like-minded leaders, I invite you to join our Facebook group called Develop, Empower, and Lead, where I deliver free live training every week. If you go to developempowerlead.com, it will redirect you right there. Hope to see you there soon.